What it do, people? This is Brian Meadows, and I'm back with another bonus FYI episode of the Angry Pastor Podcast, and I'm super excited about our topic today, Uh, but before we get into it, I want to say thank you guys so much uh, for your support. Thank you guys so much for subscribing, and thank you guys for sharing this podcast. Uh, I'm super excited about all the DMs, all the inboxes, just all the love and support that you guys have shown. Um, It has been, it's been overwhelming, uh, to be honest, and I'm really excited because we're almost done with season number one. And season two, I got some surprises for you. It's about to be crazy, all right? Uh, So thank you guys so much for taking this journey with me. If you haven't shared this with somebody, let somebody know that the Angry Pastor podcast is here. We are live. We are going forward. And uh, people are already being, you know, kind of inspired and changed and and, and transformed. And, uh, And I'm really excited about that. So thank you guys so much. So today... Woo! Today I'm excited, but hear me. This is this is huge. This is big. I don't even know how I'm going to tackle this subject, and I know I'm not going to do it justice. So please give me forgiveness on the forefront. Uh, but we're going to talk about um, um, uh, mentorship. We're going to talk about spiritual fathering. We're going to talk about pastoring. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room. And I don't even know what I'm going to call this podcast. When I was first thinking about it, I was thinking about calling this podcast the talk that we all need to have, right? Uh, what uh, We needed to have this talk a long time ago. Um, and we just need to be honest about a few things. Now, again, I cannot be exhaustive biblically or even philosophically about this topic. And so I'm not going to try to do that. But there are some... Um, key high points that have just been bugging me, just been agitating me. And I want to get them all. I want to get them out all on the table and I want to have a conversation. All right. So, um, I put up a post, um, not too long ago, probably a couple days ago. And this is what I said. I said, the responsibility to pour is the mentors, but the responsibility to pursue is the mentees. I can't pour if you don't pursue and hear me, people went bonkers, both in a positive way and in a negative way. I got a lot of inboxes, a lot of emails, people asking me to explain and explicate my position. And uh, some people you could tell had been hurt in the past, had been abused in the past. And some people were just ignorant biblically about the relationship of a mentor and a mentee. So I wanted to really kind of just take a moment to explain this. And so number one, there are levels of, of, of oversight. There are levels of mentorship. There are levels of, of, of development of, you know, uh, leadership development. And so, um, within the just realm of development, number one, and I want to say number one, I'm not going to do a list, but I'm just going to kind of spitball them out there. All right. So, you have coaches. You have coaches. Coaches. Um, a coach is not necessarily there to give you something that you don't have, but they're there to help hone your gift, hone your talent, uh, and and usually they're there to get you through a season. Um, you can look at like an NFL coach, a NBA coach, a tennis coach. They're there for you during games to give you small pointers to adjust and to uh, look at. Uh, they help you develop your game. They help you mature your game. Now they didn't give you their, uh, they didn't give you your talent. They didn't give you your level of 
of skill, right? Uh, but they could have helped you uh, create discipline. They could have helped you create a regimen. Uh, they could have helped you create a good diet. All of these things are there for the coach. The coach is there to be critical. The coach is not there to be your friend. The coach is there uh, uh, um, uh, to increase your endurance and to deal with your weaknesses. That's why you need a coach. And usually, again, a coach is for a season or they're seasonal. And then you have a mentor. Now, mentor, the whole concept of mentorship is so confusing to many people. I'm a millennial and, you know, in our generation, hear me out, I'm so sick and tired of people needing mentors. It don't make no sense. I need a mentor. I need a mentor. I need a mentor. I need a mentor. No, you need your own self-discipline, your own study life, and then maybe you'll find a mentor. You know, there's an adage and there's like this, um, I don't know if y'all have heard this phrase, but it says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And many times, if you're looking for a mentor and you haven't found them, you may not be mentorship ready yet, right? Like you may not be mentor ready. You may waste their time. You may not do anything that they're asking you to do. You may be ill-disciplined. You may have no type of uh, 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 drive or will uh, to succeed. You may procrastinate and they could cast their pearls before swine. But everybody's like, I need a mentor. And get this, I hate people that need 25 mentors. Y'all know these people like, uh, oh yeah, this is my mentor and this is my mentor and this is my mentor. They go from conference to conference to conference, taking pictures with people they don't know, posting them up, talking about, this my mentor. This my mentor. You're, you're a lie. I was about to yell, but I'm not. You're, that's not true. That's my mentor. Everybody want these mentors. Yeah, come on. So, yeah, I've been just struggling with this. Mentorship. Mentorship is one of the most confusing levels. Um, but let's deal with what a mentor is, all right? A mentor is a trainer, a tutor, and a guide, usually for the development of one area in a person's life. It could be a, a, a skill. It could be, um, you know, uh, a subject. It could be um, a task. Like, you know, maybe you're an author and you've never written a book. Well, you want to have, like, say, a author mentor. And they don't necessarily always have to be, uh, you know, seasonal. But usually they do have time periods attached to their, their, their goal or their objective. Um, because if not, how do you know if what they're doing is working? A mentor should not have oversight over your entire life. All right? That's not the purpose of a mentor. The purpose of a mentor is to help you sharpen a certain skill, a certain task, a certain uh, uh, subject. You, you, you're following me? Like say, again, if, uh, if you've never built a business, if you've never started a company, then you may need an entrepreneurial mentor or a business mentor somebody that can help walk you through getting your llc and walk you through setting up your bank account and walk you through you know establishing your board of directors and all of this and all of that helping you find the building now again most of the time they are task and objective oriented but 
if there is something that that mentor has accomplished, let's say that they are in your line of work, like say they're an actor, they're a comedian, they're a pastor, and they have already been through the journey that you're now taking, then that mentor, yes, can come alongside of you. And many times y'all can have a lifelong relationship, but you always know that they are in your life for a particular thing. That's my business mentor. That's my finance mentor. And they are dealing with this particular area. Every time y'all sit down to have lunch, y'all are talking about this particular area. And the reason I want to differentiate that is because, you know, the scripture says you have many, many, many teachers. But very, very few fathers. And there's this trend in the body of Christ where not only do people have multiple mentors. But they have multiple fathers. Like they got 18 daddies. They call everybody their spiritual father. Like they got a spirit. They got a, a, some of them got a new spiritual father every week. That's one type. But then you got certain people, they call everybody their spiritual father. Every And again, I understand that there are corporate fathers in the body of Christ. There are corporate fathers in the body of Christ, meaning that there are people that have, they have uh, acquired a certain level of trust, a certain level of authority based on their tenure, their longevity, and their integrity. And so we see them as corporate fathers. Whatever they say, we can take that to the bank, not just as a individual house, but as the corporate body of Christ. Right. There are corporate fathers. And 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 yes, we all when we see them, we say, you know, that that's a father like Bishop T.D. Jakes is not my spiritual father, but he is our father because of his impact and his oversight and authority within the body of Christ globally. Y'all following me? Apostle John Eckhart is a father. Harry Jackson is a father. Bishop Kenneth Omer is a father. Bishop Eddie Long was a father. Now we got a whole bunch of little boys pretending to be fathers. And again, I totally understand. Sometimes fathers, elders have abdicated their position and you do need elder brothers to raise up brothers. But some of this stuff is weird. All right, come on. I got I to gotta stay on topic, but I'm going to get there. All right? So mentors. Mentors should be assigned to specific areas and tasks in a person's life. After you have coaches and mentors, you then have pastors. Pastors. Pastors are usually shepherding and helping you develop the spiritual aspect of your life. Helping you grow within the disciplines of your faith. And making sure that you are ingrained, embedded, and implanted in spiritual community. So everything that God does to you, through you, and for you helps benefit and edify the corporate body of Christ. That's the job of the pastor. To have oversight of your soul. Which includes the will, the mind, and the emotions. If more people had pastors, and I'm talking about had real relationships with their pastor and their church, they would need less therapists. Now, please hear me. I'm not a therapist basher. I love therapists. I believe in therapists. I believe in counseling. Please don't misunderstand me. But some of these people, they going overboard with the therapy thing now. Come on, y'all. Everything, you telling me, you telling me because you lost a job, you need therapy? No, you, it sounds like you have some, 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 some issues. You should be responsible for your own mental health. And I think a lot of the stuff that we call mental illness is just mental mismanagement. 
You don't. You want to watch whatever you want, listen to whatever you want. Uh, uh, you online looking at cop killing videos and all this different kind of stuff, and you wonder why you're crazy. You're not managing your mental space. Of course, you're going to be mentally ill. But that don't need therapy. You need discipline, and therapy can't fix what a prayer life broke. Like, if you get in therapy makes you feel good about something that you're doing wrong, that's not going to help you. That's not healthy. So I'm not jumping on the therapy tip. I'm just saying, I love therapy, but you need a pastor. Every believer needs a pastor. Every Christian needs a pastor. Every gift needs a garden. And every gift needs a gardener. You need a pastor. If you are listening and you don't have a pastor, that's your assignment. You need to go get a church. You need to have a church home. I don't like organized religion where you're going to have a disordered destiny. You're going to have a chaotic calling. You need a pastor that will hold you accountable. I don't like going to church, man. I don't trust people. It's hypocrites in church. It's hypocrites at your job. It's hypocrites everywhere you go. Guess what? Look in the mirror. There goes another hypocrite. We're all hypocritical about something. So let, let, come on now. Let's not be judgmental. I don't go to church. I don't trust people at church. You don't trust people at your job, but you still get a check. Come on now. You need a pastor. You need to be in a local church. The scripture says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Hear me. The local church will never go out of style. Newsflash. Come on, y'all. We need to talk about this. No matter how much we do, cyber online church. Hear me. Eli oh, God. Y'all, hear me. Online church is great. We love it. We need online church because there are people that are far away from God. They're going to be far away from the church. I get it. Now, don't get offended when I say that. I'm not saying that everybody that watches church online is far away from God. But what I am saying is that, hey, if you're close to God, you want to be around the people of God. That is a sign of being born again, loving God's people. The scripture says, you, this is how they will know you, that you love one another. That's how you know that a person is born again, because they have a genuine love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. You need a pastor. You need a church. Now, when we get to the issue of spiritual fathers, I don't believe that everybody needs a spiritual father. Hear me. I don't believe that everybody needs a spiritual father. Some people just need corporate fathers. Right? Like, they literally just need a pastor that's going to preach to them on Sunday morning because they're not necessarily called to ministry. They may not necessarily be called um, uh, to an area of their industry where they need personal spiritual development and accountability. They may be good. So I don't believe that everybody needs a spiritual father. And I take this from the scripture. This is a biblical model. Jesus had several levels of mentorship or several levels of leadership. Of course, Jesus had, uh, and you know, we could we we could expand this, but I'll start with say um, 
the 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 120 i'll start with the 120 the 120 that followed jesus his disciples that were in the upper room in acts chapter uh two after you have the 120 you can then say and again we could have went to the 3,000 and the 5,000 the crowds that followed so you have 5,000 people that followed jesus this is the crowd you have 3,000 people that followed jesus this is his base you have that 120 uh, that you could kind of call that, you know, uh, his leadership. And then after the 120, he got the 70. Remember the 70 that he sent two by two, or he sent into the highways and byways to preach the gospel. He has the 70. After he has the 70, of course, he has the 12. After he has the 12, of course, he has the three. The three are Peter, James, and John. And even after the three, he then has the one, which is John the beloved, the one that laid his head upon the breast of Jesus. So Jesus had the one he had the three jesus had the 12 jesus had the 120 jesus had the 3005 you follow what i'm saying jesus had different levels now if everybody needed a spiritual father what happened to the 5000 and the 3000 what happened to the 120 jesus even though he was everybody's messiah even though jesus was everybody's rabbi even though Jesus was everybody's preacher, he maybe fathered those 12. And from the 12, he really fathered the three. That was another level. And then he actually had a friendship with the one. He actually had a friendship with the three. The three were not just, he weren't just fathering the three. He, were, he was friends with the three. He took them into very intimate spaces. Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus goes up and he's about to transform, he takes Peter, James, and John. He doesn't take everybody. And I'm sure the others were jealous. The other nine were probably jealous. Like, why they get to go? And if you want to know why they get to go, you got to refer back to my last podcast called I Don't Trust You. So, there were levels. Jesus could not father everyone. And I don't believe everybody needs a personal spiritual father. Hear me. Everybody is not going to be able to call your pastor on speed dial. Like, what is that? Uh, why, why is it that people, they come to church and they feel like, I need to have a relationship with the pastor? Huh? Why? The church is the only place where if something go wrong, people like, I, I want to talk to the pastor. You don't go to McDonald's and then talk about, I need to talk to the CEO. My fries were cold. Only in the church. But we feel like we have that privilege. I need to see the pastor. I ain't, I'm not joining this church until I talk to the pastor. The pastor, the pastor. So no, everybody won't have a personal relationship. Everybody won't have your phone number. And you got to be okay with that. And hear me, don't let people make you feel bad. Y'all got to stop guilting pastors into giving you time that you didn't prepare for. How are you going to ask to go to lunch with somebody? And then when we go to lunch, you ain't even got questions ready. Well, I just, I just wanted to uh, see, I, you know, I just never talked to you. What, what are you talking about? If you're going to have lunch with somebody, hear me. These are laws of mentorship. If you're going to have law, if you're going to have lunch with somebody, you have to be prepared. Let me give you this. 
because I wanted to make sure I give you guys some principles of leadership, mentorship. How do you pull the most out of a mentor? Now, we, we still ain't, ain't really got to the crux of the matter. We still haven't really dealt with everything that I want to deal with. So I'm going to try to get on point and stay focused. But help me, Lord. All right. Number one, if you're going to have a, a mentorship relationship and you're going to um, have lunch with them, spend time with them, be on the phone with them, number one, you got to be punctual. Got to be punctual. Now, hear me, y'all. This is something that I call honor etiquette. Some of this is going to make you mad. And I got to deal with this. Hold on one second. All right, we're going to get to this. We're going to get to how you have lunch and how you spend time. But before we get to this, I got to just deal with this because somebody has to have this conversation. We're not equal. Hear me. While we're all equally loved by God, we're not all equally anointed by God. Yes, we are all equal in the sight of God. We are all equal as human beings. But as it relates to assignments, we are not all equal. If my assignment is to pour into you, and if your assignment is to receive, we're not equal. I can't be chasing you down in order to pour into you. If you want it, you got to come get it. Oh, 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 what you, he, so what you said, he need to worship a man. What you say? He need to, he need to be all, all, he need, no, I'm not talking, no, no, come on, y'all. Like, this is, this is, see, people make crazy excuses, and people start bringing up straw man arguments, because they don't want to face the reality. You are prideful. You don't want to go after, or pursue after a man or a woman of God. And I ain't talking about being a clout chaser. I'm not talking about trying to get photos and trying to get autographs and trying to... No, I'm not talking about trying to feel important. But if you have a sincere heart, you should be pursuing the mantle and the grace and the knowledge and the wisdom that is on the life of your man or your woman of God. Yes. Like, hear me. It is not my job to chase you. I will not. Well, you never call me. So what? What? Who told you I'm supposed to call you? You're supposed to follow. Do you remember Jesus? Jesus goes up to the disciples. He said, follow me. Not the other way around. I don't follow you. You follow me. And you got to keep up with my pace. Not the other way around. I shouldn't be trying to find you and locate you. Your job is to be accountable or to bring an account of what I've given you. That's your job. Well, it's a two-way street. You a lie? This is a one-way street. Impartation flow one way. If you giving me impartation, I'm giving you impartation. I'm no longer fathering you. We have a friendship. And that's what, hear me, and that's what most people want. When most people say, I want a father, what they're really saying is, I want a friend. When most people say, I want a mentor, what they're really saying is, I want a friend. 
And you have to define what you want before you get into these relationships. Because hear me, I'm not here for you to just talk to. I'm not here for you to just vent to. Now, there can be times for that, especially for my sons and my daughters or those that I mentor and those that I cover. There will be times that they are in seasons of frustration and I have to just give them a listening ear. 100%. But that should not be the bulk of our relationship. And every time we talk, you shouldn't be just spewing stuff out that I can't correct or I can't uh, address because I just need somebody to I just need somebody to listen. That's not me. You need to go to your girlfriend with that. Go to your boy with that. That's not your spiritual father's job. That's not your pastor's job. That not, that's not your mentor's job. Anytime we have a conversation, that conversation needs intent and direction. So you got to define what you want. Because I'm, I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready, man. I'm not here to understand you. I'm here to give you something. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Before, before we enter this relationship, I just want to tell you my life story. What? Huh? I can get that as we go. I don't need that in order for us to start a relationship. Maybe you just want to tell your story. Maybe you just want to tell your testimony. Maybe you just like, maybe you just want to talk. But, you have to define the relationship. Fathers. Now, I know when a lot of people hear the term spiritual father, they automatically get turned off because there's been so much abuse of this term and of this title. There's been so much abuse of this function and this role and this grace that most people, when they hear the whole term spiritual father, they shut down completely. If they hear the term pastor, some people shut down completely. And hear me, you are right to do so. If that's your natural response, I can't change that. But I will say that that is a sign of a lack of health. And that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Yes, there are people in church that do bad things. Because the church is made up of imperfect people. But you can't blame that on the nature of Jesus Christ, on God and on his bride. See, I don't know. I just grew up differently. Yeah, I just I have a different mindset. Like, you know, a, a, a year or so ago, everybody was on this whole church hurt tip. And everybody was talking about how they had been hurt in the church. And I'm going to do a podcast. That would be a good podcast called Church Hurt. Because Church Hurt is real. Because there's a lot of abuse in the church. There's a lot of manipulation and witchcraft in the church. There's a lot of foul stuff that goes down in the church. And it hurts a lot of people from false prophecies, from uh, false miracles, false hope, and even sometimes false fathers. I've heard of churches that haze people. Like they have a system where they break you down. Everybody that comes in, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be close or whatever, the first thing they do is ignore you. And then when, they, when, when you finally get an audience with them, they're so sharp with you. And they're so correcting and so condescending and so demeaning that they break you down. 
And that's what they do in the military. It's a common process of brainwashing. You shouldn't have to break nobody down. That's God's job. I don't got to break you down. Hazing is not the kingdom of God. You don't haze people. Now, I do believe that people should go through a process of proving and they should have to ascend levels of loyalty. No, just because I love you don't mean you're going to be close to me right away. But I shouldn't be hazing you. Go get my cheesecake. Remember when Diddy sent them people to get that cheesecake? Go get that cheesecake from across the Brooklyn Bridge. Had them walk miles in freezing weather to get a cheesecake. That's hazing. That's hazing. Now, if I was like, man, I really want a cheesecake, and you felt compelled to do that, to get in your car, get on the subway, or go get it because you honored me, that's fine, and that grows your anointing. Man, we ain't got time. This is such a huge subject. But if my intent is to humiliate you in the process, if you do it, it still grows your anointing. But it also reveals my lack of integrity. And it spoils and corrupts the covenant between us. So you will begin to feel distance and you will, you will begin to feel a, a lack of sincerity. But your anointing will still grow. If Saul is throwing javelins, as long as David is dodging, he's growing. His anointing is growing. And that's why I don't understand people that's like, I can't serve this man because he's this or he's that. Yeah, everybody has seasons of Saulic leadership. Sometimes in the same person, sometimes a leader, sometimes pastors, we can have a Saul season where we just don't like you. Maybe you said something, maybe you did something and we just don't like you and we don't want to be bothered with you. We may ignore you or something like that. Yeah, that does happen. But God makes all things work together for the good that hear me y'all within the confines of spirituality. And again, I, I want to be very careful when I say this because that's not abuse. But if somebody does that intentionally over time, repeatedly to break you down and to humiliate you, that is abuse. All right. So there's a thin line between abuse and and <laughs> and fathering. And look, y'all know this, because if you grew up, especially if you grew up in an African-American household, but most of you listening, if you grew up, you know, if you're not a millennial and you grew up with some real if you grew up with some real parents, let me just say that. All right. I don't think it's a black, Latino, white, Asian thing. I just think if you grew up with some real parents, your parents spanked you. Now, I know there's people that I ain't get spanked. I ain't never got a weapon. That's why you entitled now. I was going to entitle this uh, uh, this podcast Brats. Brats. Because people just spoiled. You ain't never been corrected. You ain't never been spanked. You ain't never been, you know what I mean? And I ain't talking about no time out, no put your head in the corner. I ain't talking about that type of stuff. I'm talking about a whooping. I got stories for days, man. Y'all remember when we used to have to go outside and pick the switch? Go outside and get a switch. We used to have to go outside, pick our own switch. And if you had a ghetto mama, your mama put water on that switch. But I know friends who were beat with, you know, extension cords, curling iron cords. And I know I know y'all cringing right now. That is abuse. That is abuse. And maybe it was, but it produced people of integrity. <laughs> it produced people of character. Old Timmy that you never spanked went and shot up a school, killed 49 people. Nobody ever disciplined him. 
Now, I'm saying that because, and please, I'm being, I'm, this is spiritual. So if you're trying to be socio-psychotic uh, or, you know, uh, socio-psychological uh, or whatever, I, I, I'm not coming from that particular place. All right? I'm, 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 I'm talking spiritually. I mean, I, I, I grew up doing martial arts. And hear me, they abused us. And when I say abuse, I'm using that word facetiously. But what I'm saying is that if you could see the stuff that they did, we got into stances and they would hit us with bamboo sticks to make us straighten up. So there's a thin line between abuse and 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 development and building and and shaping a person. There's a thin line. And everybody's not cut out to be fathered because everybody doesn't have the temperament, the grit and the gut. Everybody doesn't have the willpower to deal with somebody correcting them and saying you're wrong and saying it to your face. Fathers, man, we need fathers, but we got to know how to father now or, and we got to know how to be sons. Like I love being a son. I love serving my bishop. I love serving my pastor. I like carrying his bag. I like being around him and he, him knowing that I got everything under control and he ain't got to worry about nothing. I like that. But in a consumer culture, you don't produce sons. You produce bastards. You produce people that want to take, 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 but they don't want to give anything. They want to take, take, take with no responsibility. Why you want to have lunch with me, bruh? Why you want to sit in front of me? What are you investing? What are you committed to? Hear me, y'all. Do y'all remember 1 Kings chapter 19? I think Elijah and Elisha is one of the most perfect examples and models and templates and patterns for this entire dynamic, this entire relationship of father and son, which is needed. Hear me. If the kingdom of God is going to advance, we need this relationship of father and son. If the kingdom of God is going to move forward, we need this relationship of father and son. The kingdom of God stagnates where relationships, where fathers and sons are not connected. The book of Malachi says before that great and terrible day, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. In order for the kingdom of God to pass from one generation to the next, there must be a connecting of generations. And that happens when a son submits to a father. And when a father passes on his lineage, his legacy, the levels that he's acquired in God, and he gives it to that son. And that son then grows up in the admonition of the Lord, and he continues the work of his father. And then when he raises up a, a, a son, he gives that assignment to his son. <coughs> Excuse me. It's what we call the technology of generations. When God created Adam, Adam was timeless. Adam was perfect. When God created Adam, Adam did not age. Adam had an eternal time span to accomplish God's assignment for his life. He didn't have to rush because he had no time timeline. He had no time period. There was no expiration date to his assignment. 
But in Genesis chapter three, when Adam sinned and uh, uh, and 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 death entered the DNA of man, causing man to deteriorate, causing man to decay, or causing man to age. Now all of a sudden, Adam has a finite period or a fixed time span in which he must accomplish the assignment of God. Y'all heard how I said God? I was I, I was feeling anointed when I said that God. So so. When he starts to deteriorate, now Adam and his wife must know each other for more than pleasure, but now they must know each other for productivity. Sex first was not made for productivity because man did not have to produce because man was timeless. Sex first was for pleasure. And then when man fell, the practicality of sex entered where now sex was for production and Adam knew his wife Eve and of course they bear a son. And they had Abel and Cain. Y'all know that whole story. <clears throat> but this this begins or this initiates what I call the technology of generations. Because once time became a component or once time became a variable, now they have to have children so that the assignment can pass. So even though, watch me, even though the man dies, the assignment does not die. And this is why fathers and sons and mantles are so important. And while they're so apropos to this particular time period that we are in right now, we need fathers and we need sons and we need their collaboration, their syncopation so that the kingdom of God can continue to move forward. But we got crazy fathers and we got rebellious sons. Hear me. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who's hungry. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who's trying to make it. It's hard to be fathered by somebody who doesn't know who they are. It's hard to be fathered by somebody who is insecure. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who is jealous. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who doesn't have a prayer life. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who don't uh, study their Bible. It is hard to be fathered by somebody who's uneducated. It is hard to be fathered. But it's not impossible. It is hard to be fathered, y'all. I'm not going to make it seem like it's easy. Now, I got I got blessed because uh, I just happened to meet a bishop who, um, I don't want to say was at the end of his ministry, but he was definitely at, you know, the peak of his ministry. And so he had seen all the success you could see. He had been on every major platform you could be on. He knew everybody you could know. So when I came into his life, he don't have anything. There's nothing I could give him. There's no amount of money I could give him. There's no amount of compliment, flattery I can give him that he ain't already heard. So he made a perfect father. He had already been where I was going. And that's what you want to look for in a father. Somebody asked me, like, if I'm looking for a father or even a mentor, what should I look for? And I, I gave them these uh, three things. Number one, availability. Number two, uh, um, uh, what was the number two? Number one, availability. Number two, integrity. Oh, yeah. Number two is credibility. And then number three was integrity. Right. Number one is availability. If you're going to be fathered by somebody or mentored by somebody, they have to be available. And again, there are different uh, types of availability. If that's if that means FaceTime, if that means uh, phone calls, if that means Zoom chats, all of those things work. But you need availability. 
There has to be some time where you're you're getting some FaceTime, you're getting some uh, getting an audience where you're able to ask questions, where you're able to have some personal interaction. You need availability. Number two, there needs to be credibility. If you're going to father somebody, you need to look at the other people that this person is fathering and what has become of them. Because if all their sons and daughters are in scandal, I would think twice. Or if the father has a whole bunch of scandals. Come on, y'all. If the father got a whole bunch of scandals, I wouldn't do it. If he got a whole bunch of crazy stuff in his reputation, if the word on the street is, I would be very, I, I, I would, I would, I would. Hear me, y'all. You got to look at fruit. The Bible says you shall judge a tree by its fruit. Hear me. By its fruit. Not saying he didn't say fruity. He said fruit. If you look around a pastor and all the men around him is effeminate, y'all don't want to talk. Let's go home. Look, y'all, 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 come on. Come on now. What type of stuff is this? I wish Bernie Mac was here. <laughs> like, what type of stuff? Like, hear me. A spiritual father shouldn't be too, like, if, if, if you my son, you are a grown man. It is my job to grow the man in you. How am I growing the man in you if I'm treating you like a baby or if I'm treating you like a little boy? I've seen pastors, they hug men and they, they cup the back of the man's head. The hey, hey, y'all almost got me. Almost got me. No, we don't hold the back of people's. We don't come on now. Pelvis to pelvis. I'm hugging you from behind. You laying in my lap, sitting on my lap. Come on, y'all. That ain't that ain't spiritual fathering. That's something else. That's something else, man. So you got you to gotta look at the credibility. I be looking at some of these quote-unquote spiritual fathers, and I be thinking, you are so popular, but you ain't raised nobody. Like, where are the gifts you've raised? Now, you, you done hired a whole bunch of gifts. You done stole a whole bunch of gifts. But where are the gifts you've raised? Why are all your men midgets? You got to look at their credibility. What have they developed? What have they grown from the soil of their ministry? Who can you look at and say, that's a, that, that is a, that's proof of his fathering. That's what you got to look at. You got to look at availability. You got to look at credibility. And then you got to look at integrity. Integrity. Are they really exemplifying the character of Christ? Are they patient? Are they meek? Are they long-suffering, right? Galatians chapter 5. Not just are they gifted. See, y'all got to stop choosing fathers because they're cute or because they gifted. They can sing, they can preach, they can prophesy, or they can do whatever you want to do, or you like their fashion. That's, the, that's a dumb reason to choose a father. You don't choose a father because of what kind of car he drives. You don't choose a father just because you like the way he preaches, y'all. I 
I've had people come at me about my bishop. My bishop is a white man, and people have asked me, why you submit to that white man? What, what, why, why, you with, why you with Brady? Because he's done ministry and has sustained a, a healthy family for over 40 years. What have you done? Not one scandal, not one issue. All of his children are serving in ministry. That's what I want. So, when you look at 1 Kings 19, y'all, you got to look at this whole mentorship fathering dynamic. When you look at 1 Kings 19, using Elijah and Elisha as a model, one day the scripture says, y'all remember, now get this process. Elijah is a phenomenal prophet. Now the Bible says he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. We don't know who his father or mother is. This man literally comes out of nowhere. But when Elijah comes on the scene, I'm telling you, he's telling the heaven to stop up. He's telling it when the rain, he's telling when the clouds to form. This man has such a level of authority and a level of prophetic prowess that we're, we're wondering where did he come from? But he has no lineage. But he comes out of nowhere. He starts to deal with Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. He starts to do all of his prophetic uh, assignments, right? And then one day, Jezebel starts running after him. He goes up under a juniper tree and he begins to pray, Lord, kill me. I want to commit suicide. I no longer want to be here. Well, God heard his prayer. And after that, God said, all right, well, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go anoint the king of Israel, go anoint the king of Judah. And then I need you to go anoint your replacement. Since you don't want to be here, since you ain't going to be doing this forever, I need, you to, I need you to raise up somebody else that can continue to do it when you're, go when you're gone. When you can no longer do it, I need you to raise up somebody. And he says, I want you to go anoint Elisha. And so one day Elijah's walking and he sees Elisha. Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's how the King James Version says it. All right. Now, if you study that, there's some kind of conjecture because some people say that he was plowing with 12 oxen. But then some people say that he was plowing with 12 oxen, just six on each side. All right. So you have six on one side, six on the other side, which is 12 oxen. Now, six on one side, six on the other side. If you look at that kind of just, uh, you know, uh, pictorially or if you look at that like a picture six and six uh it, it forms the books of the bible because there are 66 books of the bible so elisha was plowing with the word of god or he had a study life because i'm not about to father nobody who ain't got their own study life right but what it also means is 12 is the number of apostolic government. 12 is the number of order meaning that elisha had already he had a he had a presence of order in his life he understood apostolicity or he understood the dynamics of an apostle which deal with headship and fathering, uh, leadership, development, all of those sorts of things. He was found with 12 yoke of oxen, six on each side. 12 is the number of apostolic government. You divide it by two, you get six. Six is the number of flesh. So Elisha had his flesh in order. Are y'all following me? I'm just saying that if, if a father is going to choose a son, these are the things that he's looking for. He's looking for order. He's looking for an understanding of apostolicity or at least a high level of honor intelligence. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. 
We're looking for somebody that have has their flesh under control because I'm not going to father you if you can't even get up on time. How can I father you and you can't control your flesh? Like, hear me. If, if I'm going to father you, you ain't going to raise your voice at me. You're not going to disrespect me. See, why is it that if a father disrespects you, it's abuse. But if you disrespect the father, I was just I just had to get that out. I just had to be real. I just had to be honest. Oh, but when I'm honest, it's church hurt. Call. You, you see that? When I'm honest, you need counseling. But when you honest, hey, look, he, he need to just get over. I just shoot, I just had to tell you how I felt. These are things that a pastor needs to look for or spiritual father needs to look for in a son. And so get this. <coughs> he takes his mantle and he throws it upon Elisha. When he throws it upon Elisha, that's indicative of an experience, an encounter. Maybe it's in a service and you get prophesied to. Somebody lays hands on you or you meet somebody at the mall, at the movies. Or you run in the airport and you see somebody and y'all have this conversation. You get a, you just get a smearing. You just get a, a, a nudge of the anointing. You just get like a small piece of their presence. Just you get a, a, a run in. Now watch this. After that run in, Elisha said, hey, Elijah, I need to go with you. But I need to go kiss my father and mother before I go. Eli you got to read your Bible, y'all. First Kings 19. Elijah said, what they got to do with me? What they got to do with me? Don't give me no excuse. If you're going to follow me, let's go. But Elisha, which I think he should have done. The Bible says that he goes and he kisses his mother and father. He kills his oxen. The Bible says he cuts up all those oxes and he makes a stew. Why does he kill the ox? Because when he starts to follow Elijah, he knows at some point it's going to get hard. And he's going to want to return to what he used to do or go back to his old life. So he's going to kill his past or he's going to kill any other option. You know what that's called? That's called loyalty. Loyalty. Jesus was walking with his disciples and he started to give them hard truths. He said, if you're going to have any piece of me or any part of me, if you're going to walk with me, you got to drink my blood and you have to eat my flesh. And the Bible says many of his disciples walked away from him to leave him, never to walk, away, walk with him again. Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, when you going to leave? Peter says, Bruh, <laughs> where I'm going to go? For you have the words of eternal life. I ain't going nowhere. Peter had no other option. All those people that left, they had other options. Hear me. Impartation don't start until you're loyal. And loyalty don't start until you have no other options. See, the reason why you're not really getting impartation is because you don't really belong to nobody because you got 85 fathers and you got 1,000 mentees or mentors. You're ever learning, never coming into the knowledge of the truth. Elijah said, what they got to do with me? He goes and he kisses his father and mother. He kills the oxen. But watch this. Elisha has to then make up the time. Because Elijah did not stop walking for Elisha. So that means Elisha has to make up the distance. Meaning you got you to gotta catch up. So that means you need to be at every church service. 
That means you need to you need to be at every one of my meetings, every one of my services. You need to have every one of my books. It is surprising to me the people, the amount of people that be like, "You're my spiritual father. You're my pastor." The amount of people that call me their spiritual father that be like, "Oh my God, I didn't even know you was in my city." You're not following. Oh my God, I didn't know you was out of town. I've had, I, I, and, and again, you guys, there's no shade. I love y'all for all my sons and daughters. Thank you guys so much for your support. I love you guys. So please don't take no gripe at this. But I, I, I've had people text me like right before I'm about to preach and say, can you talk? And I'm like, hey, I'm literally about to get up to preach. Oh, I didn't know. All you had to do is look at my Instagram. You have to follow. See, the job of the son or the job of the mentee is to follow. It's not my job to give you my schedule. It's your job to find out my schedule. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh and say that. I'm not trying to say that in a mean or condescending way. But that's the truth. We need to have this conversation, y'all. Because there's a generation that's losing impartation and opportunity because they feel like going after something or pursuing a man or a woman of God is either beneath them it's either abuse or I shouldn't have to do that. And yes, you do have to do that. The disciples had to follow Jesus. Timothy had to follow Paul. Elijah had to follow Elisha. Isaac had to follow Abraham. Like this is how spiritual legacy and spiritual lineage is formed. And I'm sorry you don't feel like it's fair because you feel like the father should be coming after you. And you feel like that because you have an orphan spirit. And your parents were never there for you or you don't feel like your parents ever supported you. So now you need a spiritual father to support you. But I need you to understand, I can't come to every one of your birthday dinners. I can't come to every one of your uh, wedding uh, uh, rehearsals and wedding things. I can't come to every one of your, uh, your your baby showers. I can't come to every one of your things. I can't come to every book signing. I can't come to every service. I can't do that. Well, that's what you want me to do. That's what you're supposed to do. It is your job to make... Man, y'all ain't ready for me, man. See, because... Hear me. We make each other a priority. But we also understand that we are in different places. It is my priority to pour down. It is your, it is your priority... To be in the right place so that I can pour. I can't chase you. But you are supposed to pursue me. Now, is that an ego thing? No. I'm going to tell you why it's important. It's functional. If, if there's one pastor and 29 disciples. The 29 disciples all only have one pastor. But the pastor has 29 disciples. So which would be easier for the 29 to make one text message or for the one to make 29 text messages? It's functional, y'all. So no, I can't text everybody and I can't call everybody, but you can text me. And if you text me, I can respond. Now, I'm, a, I'm one of those bad responders because I'm busy. Sometimes I think I responded. Sometimes I don't respond quick enough. Sometimes I, pre I don't press sin. And so sometimes, yes, it could be an hour, two hours. Let's be honest. It could be four or five hours before I respond, but I'm going to respond. I'm not ignoring you. But you got to understand, you can't not be accountable. Like, I can't not have, like, you can, you cannot have, I don't even know how to say this, man. 
If you haven't checked in in a week, if I haven't talked to you in a month, you can't then have an emergency and make your emergency my urgency. No, I'm not about to rearrange my schedule because you didn't do the last thing I said, dude. Spiritual fathers. Elijah, Elisha, he begins to go after Elijah. He finally catches up with Elijah and they start to walk together. And one day Elijah is going to test his intent. He says, Elisha, what do you want? Why are you following me? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. Now, that sounds deep and, you know, that sounds biblical. But what Elisha was really saying is, I want everything you have. I want to I carry the same grace. I want to duplicate that anointing. I want to continue your legacy and your assignment. Now watch what Elijah says. Elijah says, if you can see me when I'm taken up, you can have what's on my life. So we got to deal with a few things. Number one, if you can see me, that means you're going to have to keep up with me and you're going to have to keep the right perspective of me. If you can see me. Because some things are going to happen on our journey that may try to change your perspective. See, the closer you get to a pastor, the more of their flaws you will see. And hear me, it is a sacred thing to be trusted with the flaws of a pastor. It is a sacred thing to be trusted with the humanity of your leader. The disciples were entrusted with the humanity of Jesus. There are times that they had to protect Jesus. There are times that they literally had to carry Jesus because he had been ministering so much. If they would allow his body to break down, we would not be saved. But there had to be people around Jesus that cared for his physicality and his humanity just as much as his spirituality and his mantle and his ministry. Y'all following me? He says, I want, I want a double portion. He said, if you can see me when I'm taken up. I like that. If you can see me when I'm taken up. As God promotes me, as I go from level to level, as God increases me, can you keep your heart pure? When you feel like I'm no longer available and you feel like I've become big and I, and I you know, when you feel like that, can you keep your sincerity and can your heart stay pure? If you can see me when I'm taken up. Proximity is a big part of impartation. This is why your Elijah, your Elisha can't be online. Everybody else can be online. Your Elisha can't be online. Travel is a part of the development of your of your Elisha's anointing. They have to go where you are. They have to be in your presence. Proximity increases the pressure of impartation. That's why you can't get this at home. Hear me. I don't care what you heard. We need cyber church. We need online church, especially for people that are not saved, people that won't come into a church. We totally understand that. But for Elisha's, for men and women of God that will carry mantles of revival and mantles of the spirit and mantles of prayer and all of this, you need to be in your pastor's face. Even if you have, if, even if you have, even if you have a business, you have an entrepreneurial calling. If your pastor has a grace for favor and a grace for finances and a grace for ingenuity and a grace for creativity, you need to be in your pastor's face. You need to be pulling on your pastor. 
ain't even got time to talk about pulling. Right? Because if you're a son, you should be the loudest people in the room whenever your pastor is preaching. You should literally be yelling until you ain't got a voice. Y'all embassy people are going to really do that. Don't do that. There's so much we could deal with, y'all. But it is the responsibility of the mentor to pour. But it is the responsibility of the mentee to pursue. If you really want it, you got to go after it. And I'm not talking about going after a man. I'm not talking about worshiping a man. You following me? I'm not talking about like clout chasing. I'm not talking about trying to get photos. I'm not talking about, you know, adding another mentor to your Rolodex. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about genuinely wanting to serve. The Bible says of Elisha that he was known as the man that poured water on the hands of Elijah. When it says pour water, it literally means to serve. That's an adage that means to serve. Because the pouring of water, whenever the prophet would do something with his hands, he had to wash his hands. His adjutant had to have a bowl of water ready to uh, receive him and ready to pour that water on his hands so that he could be ready to lay hands, do something else, whatever the case may be. Before dinner, Jews or the Jewish culture, they had a lot of superstitions around clean hands. They believed that if your hands were dirty, if you ate with dirty hands, demons would enter your body. And so they would constantly wash their hands. So he needed somebody right there to make sure that he was being ministered to. I wish we could get into armor bearers and all this different kind of stuff. And we could do a part two on this at some point. But this has already been like an hour. So I'm going to stop here. But we got to have this conversation. Yes, there's been a lot of abuse. Yes, there's been a lot of negative uh, negativity in this space. And we got to deal with, uh, you know, babies having babies in the hood. You know, where I'm from, from the ghetto, you would have babies having babies. Meaning that you would see, you would see, um, you know, Bonquisha, who's 15, who got a baby, who's eight. I mean, sorry, who got a baby that's two or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would see that. And again, that's, that's, I'm not making a joke of that because, you know, we all have our journey. And of course, uh, my grandmother got pregnant with my mom when she was like 15. So I totally understand that. It's not about how you got here. It was the will of God that you are here. But I'm saying that to say that in the hood where there's a lack of sexual education, where there's a lack of discipline, there's a lack of accountability and oversight. And people are having sex when they should not be having sex. In those environments, you see babies raising babies. And now in the church, you know what we see? We see babies raising babies. And so many people have been hurt because of the abuse and the manipulation. Hear me, my job as a father is not to control anybody. I don't want to control your decisions. I don't want you to do what I want you to do. Do what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do. All I want you to do is account for my wisdom. Ask for my wisdom. Get my understanding. Let me help you. Sometimes you may hear something that you may think is God. And it may not be true or real. So you need somebody that you can trust to say that ain't God. <coughs> I don't know why people feel like um, God told me is a trump card. Like, they feel like, hey, if they can say God told me, like, I can't say nothing. Well, God told me. What that mean? That ain't God. You can't tell me if that's God or not. Oh, yes, I can. I've been walking with him for a while. 
God don't say stuff like that. You need somebody. Help. Hear me. Your pastor, your spiritual father is there to help mentor you and disciple you in spirituality. You did not get saved and just all of a sudden you, you understood how this stuff works. You need training and you need teaching. But anyway, I digress. This has been another episode, another bonus FYI of the Angry Pastor Podcast. I pray you guys enjoyed it. Just wanted to have a conversation. I know I was all over the place, but I told you at the beginning, I could not be exhaustive and really delve into this subject and give it justice. But we could deal with a few topics uh, that were pertinent um, for this particular presentation. So I love you guys and I appreciate you. Again, we still got our season finale on the way. Tell somebody about this. Um, Yeah. Y'all know what it is. Be angry. Sin not. I love you guys. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.